praise the Lord, he is gracious to us, and he provides things that are good for people, and uh, also to fulfill his word and to remember. So it's a great time of remembering the price Jesus paid for us, and so we'll pray, and then you can come down, and here they are, the elements. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us life. Thank you for giving us your love. Thank you for the greatness of your word and the power that you've displayed through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, from, for the opportunities we have to praise you together. You have been so good to us, Lord. You have pursued us with your love. You have demonstrated your kindness to us. You've forgiven us. You've, you've transformed us, and you're continuing to heal us, Lord. Thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, our healer, and pray that we would trust you and we would we would believe your word and what you say, that you are with us and you won't leave or forsake us, and that you have given us protection from the enemy's attacks, and that we can be at peace even though there is a battle that's happening in the world around us that we can't always see. Thank you, Lord, that you are near when we cry out to you. When we humble ourselves, you hear us and you answer. So, Lord, I thank you for our family here in Christ, for your word, and pray that as it is spoken today, it would minister to every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It was in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 8, when Solomon said, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse 8, A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. From a spiritual perspective, that time of love and hate or war and peace, they can be happening at the same time. They're not just opposed to one another. For instance, it's always in season to love the Lord, right? And to hate sin. That's always in season. That should be happening concurrently at the same time. And it's also true that we're in, in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual battle. So there's a war that's happening. However, we can also be at peace because Jesus is our peace. So those two things can be happening at the same time, that in the midst of chaos and unknowns and feeling overwhelmed and overpowered by our circumstances and even the attacks of the enemy, we can be at peace and at rest in Christ who is our peace. I don't know if you guys have seen The Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, the movie that came out years ago, the evil armies of Sauron, they're pillaging the king of Rohan, he's, he's consulting with his advisors about what they should do. And he says, you know, our numbers are depleted. I will not risk open war. And Aragon says immediately, open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. And from a spiritual vantage point, that's the case. It's good to know that open war is upon us. There is a war that we are involved with because God is good. And there are malevolent beings head by Satan who are against God and seek to undermine his word, to lie, to steal, and to destroy. And as God's children, we are targets. And he's given us the power and the wisdom and discernment to withstand every attack and to have protection from the fiery darts that the enemy throws at us. So we didn't ask to be in this battle. But we need to recognize that we are in a battle and that God has given us the, the weapons of war needed to walk in victory, to stand fast in the victory that Jesus has given us by grace. 
Knowing that Jesus has already won, that he has provided us the victory, gives us great courage and confidence to move forward. And in our passage today, we have reached the conclusion. The letter began with Paul telling us the blessings that we have in God, that he has seated us in the heavenlies with Christ. He's made us to know his will. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been born again and been made to sit with Jesus in the heavenly places, that it's by grace through faith we're saved and not of ourselves, not by the works we've done, that we're no longer strangers but citizens of heaven, not foreigners but now children of God. And he begins to lay out our position, who we are in Christ, and then by virtue of that or because of that, how we ought to live with one another, that we should love one another in the fear of the Lord. We should submit to one another in the love of Christ how we are united in one body as the church. And as part of his body, we aren't to continue in sin anymore. So just real practical things that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that being filled with the Spirit impacts all our relationships. We've reached Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word finally, he's saying summing it all up in light of what I've said already uh, the, the exceeding greatness of the power that works toward us. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Him. And this isn't strength that you necessarily feel, like when you've been working out and you're seeing some dividends of those, you know, pumping that iron. You're like, yeah, give me those weights. I'll just, you know, I, I feel strong. I can do this. It's not that kind of strength. It's strength that's in the Lord. And this strength is found through knowledge and faith in God. I love what God told Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua had strength, but it wasn't in his calling. It wasn't in his willpower or because Moses trained him. His strength was through faith in God. And God said, I have commanded you and I'm with you. So the strength that Joshua was to tap into was strength that God supplied because God was with him. God had called him. God had commanded him. When David and his mighty men discovered that their families had been kidnapped when they were with the Philistines by Amalekites, it said the, David was grieved because people wanted to stone him. So that the grief of the men, seeing their families gone, it turned to anger and they centered it on David. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Strengthened was something intentional that David did, because there was a lot of threat around him, right? He was greatly distressed. It seemed like, man, I might not get out of this alive. People are pretty angry about what's happened. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. So there was an intentional act on his part to say, I'm not going to look at the stones or the angry faces around me or what they're talking about or what their plans are. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to rely upon him, and he's going to give me directives on how to move forward. So he strengthened himself in the Lord. Knowing that we're in Christ, knowing that he's commanded us, knowing that he's with us, that there is strength in him, we can have courage, strength. And when we're feeling weak, when we are discouraged, 
we can find strength in God. We might not feel strong, but God's grace is sufficient. In fact, his grace is made per- his strength is made perfect in our weakness because then it's him and not us. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, with, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In God's strength, we're called to put on the whole armor of God. God will enable us to stand against the wiles and the methods. That word wilds, it's uh, the Greek word that we get method from. And this isn't the first time in the book that Paul has told his readers to put on something. If you want to turn back a page or two, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22, we see this putting on. First, something needs to be put off. Ephesians 4, verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off the old way of thinking, the old way of living when we were in our sins and without hope, we are to be renewed through our minds, through the word, and then putting on the new man. It's the same word there. And that's done through faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So when you're born again, when you trust in the Lord, you, are, you put on Jesus Christ like you would that robe of righteousness he gives us. And that we're to put off the old man and to put on the new man, which is created after God in righteousness and holiness. We first read of armor that God wears in Isaiah 59, 17. And when you think of armor, I think it gives me confidence. It gives me protection, right? Like if there's been a chemical spill and you would not dare put your hands or even breathe the vapor because you know it's very caustic and dangerous, you would wear the proper clothing. And then you would feel confident to walk around it and to clean up that spill. Years ago, there was a Canadian man who was involved in a grizzly attack. So it became his, his passion to, I think he dropped $150,000 in building a grizzly suit. It was called the Grizzly Project. And so He didn't actually test it against a grizzly. There's some great videos on YouTube. But he decided he's standing in front of this massive log that crashes into his chest. Someone drives a truck and hits him, and he flies through the air. He rolls down a hill. He he does all the people are hitting him with a baseball bat. Like, he put it through the paces. And he was willing to do that because he had such confidence in this this suit of armor that he had designed that, hey, it's going to withstand a bullet. It can withstand a truck. It can withstand a log. So I'm okay to stand in front of that log. Now, if you weren't confident, you wouldn't do that. And the big difference between physical armor and spiritual armor is that our confidence isn't in the armor, but the one who gives it to us. It's totally different, right? We have confidence in God because he supplied us the armor. He's with us and going to protect us. 
It's important we also realize this call is not one of conquest, but to stand, to hold our ground to the territory the Lord has claimed, that the truth that he has established, we would stand firm on that. Our struggle is not to advance, to try to overpower or destroy Satan. God has promised to do that, and he will in time. We'll see that because of the armor that we're provided, he will target our hearts. He will target our minds. He's going to try to intimidate us into retreating from the position that we have in Christ, to not really believe what the Bible says. He wants to undermine that. He wants to discourage us that we wouldn't lay hold of the promises God gives us and we would fall short of, of our position. And he, he would cause us to want to, to be afraid that the Bible is not politically correct or politically expedient. You know, it's not going to help me in my job to be talking about the things of God. So I'm not going to talk about the things of God. I'm going to kind of avoid those subjects rather than speaking the truth. He, he will, the devil will accuse us. He will condemn us. He will try to convince us that we have failed too much. There is no hope for us. There's really no reason to continue. And he'll, like Eve in the garden, he'll subtly contradict God. Well, has God really said that? Did he really mean that? Is it true for you? What does it look like? And begin to sow that doubt in your mind. Watchman Nee wrote, when you fight to get the victory, then you have lost the battle at the very onset. Our power for standing as for walking lies in our having first been made to sit together with Christ. The Christians walk in warfare alike, derive their strength from his position there. If he is not sitting before God, he cannot hope to stand before the enemy. It's very wise counsel that we'd recognize our position in Christ and that we are, to, we are enabled to stand because of his presence, because we're seated in the heavenlies with him, and he's the one who helps us. So after telling us to put on the whole armor of God to stand, Paul tells us who our enemy isn't. He says it's not flesh and blood. It's not other people. Do you guys ever feel like that's not really the case? Like, oh, there's definitely some flesh and blood enemies out there, people who are enemies of the truth, people who are enemies of the Lord, who want to undermine the family or promote sin, but know that they're only pawns in a spiritual battle that the devil and his demons, they are at work in corrupting and in undermining the truth of God's word. Seeking to overthrow God, scatter his people. I, I believe they know it's not possible, but that won't stop them from trying because they hate God and all his children. War is upon us whether we would risk it or not. And this warfare is not just for some in the church to address, but for every believer, you have been called, you have been chosen, you have been sanctified and equipped for this battle to stand your ground because it's God who has placed that, that firm foundation under your feet. It shouldn't make us unsettled to think that there are demons or spiritual beings or, or Satan who is plying his schemes and trying to, to thwart God's purposes. Listen to what it says in Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Jesus is the head of all principality and power. 
And it said previously that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, these rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. So if an attack comes, God knew about that attack. He knew about it before it even happened. And he will protect us. He put a hedge of protection around Job, and he will also put a hedge of protection around you. That's impenetrable. Now, in Job's case, God allowed the devil to, to take away some of the things of his life, basically everything. But the one thing he couldn't touch was his hope in the Lord. And God was faithful and healed him, restored him. We are made, the Bible says, complete in Christ. We are complete. So it's not like you're thrown into battle without a sword or without a shield or without a helmet. You are fully uh, outfitted and ready to go because he lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He's given us life, light, armor, protection, support, brothers and sisters who want to help us and encourage us along the way. Like, don't lose heart, man. Let's go. We can do this. And we can encourage each other. An illustration in the Bible is that Christians are like enlisted soldiers. We haven't been drafted against our will. We've chosen to join God's side. Now, before an Australian soldier is thrust into battle, all recruits, they have to do basic training. 80 days at the Army Recruit Training Center Kapuka near Wagga Wagga. Has anyone here actually done that? The 80 days? Wow. Maybe someday you will. Some of you will. But during that time, those recruits are pushed beyond their limits. It's all intentional to teach them how to work as a team, to, to train them, to get them physically fit, to challenge them in ways that to, be, to work together that they've never even thought, being deprived of sleep and tough conditions and fatigue. Because they don't just put someone in battle unless they know how to fight. They know some hand-to-hand -hand combat. They know how to apply first aid. They know how to clean and use their firearms safely. They're not just thrown into battle without training. There's 80 days of training, and then once that basic training is completed, there's another 6 to 18 months of specialized training that a recruit will go through before they can actually do their job. A primary difference between a soldier's basic training and the training or the life that we have as a believer, our equipping as children of God, is that ours is spiritual. We're instantly fit for the battle because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He gives us strength and wisdom beyond our capacity right away. It's kind of like those animals that they're just born and they're on their feet and running around and looks like, it's not like a baby that needs Years and years of careful care and cleaning and provision before the child can even turn on a light switch by themselves or put on a shoe. It's not like that. It's like you are fit. You are born ready. You are ready because you are born again and you're part of God's family. He's going to protect you. Paul wrote this to the believers in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. There's things that you don't even know a person, you don't need a person to teach you because God, he is able to teach you those things. He says, God, he's already demonstrated his love for you. You know what the love of God looks like. I don't need to go into great detail about how to love people 
Because since the Holy Spirit lives within you, you know that love already. And of course, that is refined and it takes time. But the Holy Spirit, God has given the Spirit so that we would be taught by him. So we could commune with God in real time. He convicts us of sin. Sometimes we think it relies, it depends on us that other people know they're doing the wrong thing. Hmm. Well, sometimes God would, it's your role to say something in love to correct a brother or sister, to rebuke even. But God is able to do that in their life just as he convicts you without anyone saying anything. No one said, you did the wrong thing. And you're like, I did the wrong thing. Well, how did you know that? The Holy Spirit in you. He told you. John Corson, he makes this difference between condemnation and conviction. He says, condemnation causes us to run away from God, while conviction draws us toward God, draws us back to the word, back into fellowship. The enemy, Satan, he's going to try to condemn you. He wants to move you away from the safety of fellowship and family. And he wants you to forget the promises and the love that he's shown. But the Holy Spirit convicts us and we go, ah, oh, Lord, I've been wrong. I need to come back to you. I need to return. Teach me the right way. Because of the spiritual battle, because of the enemies we face, God's provided spiritual armor so that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I don't want to overcomplicate this. God provides us spiritual armor because we're in a spiritual battle and we are susceptible to attack. Satan will target these perceived areas of weakness in our lives, and it's true for every person. Like, you need a heart to live, right? We all need a heart. So if you were going to target your enemy, you would go after that thing. Or if you shut down the brain then there's no fighting, no resistance from that person anymore, and they, are, they pose no threat. And so there's certain areas that we as human beings, we're susceptible, and spiritually it's the same thing. We're very susceptible in many areas. Not all trials, and I want to just say this, not all trials is an attack of the devil. But if we're, we are targeted, it's because God has allowed it, and God has provided ample protection against it. We're not sitting ducks. We are protected. And this armor, it needs to be put on before the evil day. Before the attack comes, we have to have it in place. It's kind of like, it's the difference between life and death. If your sword was in your hand or under your bed, like in the dusty corner. where you, The attack is upon you. you. You didn't expect it. So we have to be ready. We need to be prepared before fiery darts start flying. And so, therefore, our spiritual armor is not to be taken off. You don't take off the spiritual armor. You keep it in place. Physically, it would be very uncomfortable to, I mean, when you go out to work, just work, business clothes, and you get home, you're like, I want to put on something more comfortable. Can you imagine trying to, as a knight, sleeping in a suit of armor? Like, forget that. For the dragon, that's cool, but not for bedtime. Awful. You wouldn't sleep very well. You wouldn't be a very good fighter the next day. Physically, we sleep, but spiritually, we don't. We aren't called to. Every time it says, awake out of sleep, you who sleep. If you're a sleepy Christian, wake up and stay awake. Stay alert. Because even at night, the enemy can put those thoughts in your head and make you doubt and despair. 
putting on the armor of God, it's not a daily routine. It's really a constant since we've put on Christ and we're called to walk in the Spirit. And the armor is a picture of how, having been born again and filled by the Spirit, God protects us in so many different ways. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul correlated the spiritual protection that God gives Christians with the armor that Roman soldiers wore. He connected a physical object with the spiritual reality of being in Christ. Think about this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our righteousness. Jesus, who preached the gospel, is our peace. Through faith, we're given salvation, and the word of God has been given to us to wield, to, to take into us, into our very inmost being. Satan is the father of lies, so Jesus has girded us with truth. That security where we know that it is a sure foundation. Proverbs 4.23, it says we should guard our hearts. They are a wellspring of life. So our heart is going to be targeted, our affections, our desires. That's, and our natural desires are wicked. And so we have to submit those to Christ. Being born again, we've made, been made righteous through faith. And righteousness isn't just our ticket to heaven, but it protects us now. When you begin making righteous choices and righteous decisions, and you start thinking righteously, a lot of the things that used to tempt us, they won't even be in the picture. We won't be opening ourselves up to attack because we won't be giving the enemy an opportunity. So it's not, righteousness isn't just something that we need to have eternal life through faith, but we have righteousness, which is our protection every day. Since we're called to stand, God's provided shoes with traction by the gospel. When you do anything like rock fishing, there's specially spiked shoes that you'll wear to get your grip on the rocks. Uh, sport, if you're playing rugby or football, uh, if you're going to work, wearing special shoes. We prepare for work or any activity, even if it's like dancing, by wearing specially designed shoes for that activity. And the gospel, the preparation of peace, the gospel prepares us to stand on the foundation of Christ. So we can be immovable knowing that Jesus is our Savior. So having put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet wearing the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're called to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and sword of the Spirit. Verse 16, it says, The shield of faith it's able to extinguish all the fiery darts. And this was not just the little shield you would use in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but the big one, the Greek word from which we get the word door. So it was quite large, and you could hide your whole body behind it. It was a big shield. And uh, putting fire or adding this incendiary device to the arrow, it could do a lot of damage, burning the victim, also burning supplies, and if a lot of structures were made of wood, they would shoot it over the walls and 
start fires and people had to start putting out the fire and they're distracted from actually fighting. So it says though that shield of faith, choosing to take up that faith, it's like, no, I'm, when that thought comes, I am going to trust God. When I feel suspicious, I am going to believe in what he said and just puts out that fire right away. So it can't burn us and it can't spread to anyone else. When we take that helmet of salvation, our minds are protected because that's a chief way that the enemy will attack us. Our thoughts, the, the, the train of thought that we'll go on. He's going to accuse you. He's going to tell you you're without hope, that there's, there's really no chance for you to change, that really this is this following Jesus thing. Is it really real? And make you doubt even your own salvation. Having been saved by faith in Jesus, we can remember, Lord, you have saved me. You are saving me. And one day I am going to be saved by your grace. And I don't need to be afraid anymore. I don't need to worry. And a lot of our worries come from thoughts, don't they? Thoughts about what could happen, what is happening, what might be in our future. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it also mentions a helmet. It says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So here, faith and love is part of the breastplate. So we don't have to be pedantic uh, about whether it's, you know, the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate of faith and love. Well, it's both. They're all protecting us. They're all helping us. Just as the shield of faith, it extinguishes those darts. So the, the faith can be applied to the breastplate. It protects our hearts and our, our minds too. To stand in the heat of battle, we must take the sword of the Spirit. Pretty unintimidating uh, to fight, or be very intimidating for us to fight without a sword. But we have a sword. That's a defensive and an offensive weapon. It, has its, uh, it can be used in both ways. Now, we used to do sword drills. Anyone here do sword drills in Sunday school? Mm, sword drills. That involved, let's race and see who's the fastest at finding a verse. And they go, Titus. And you're like, oh, Titus. And you try to turn to Titus the fastest. And uh, I don't know. I guess it was fun because I knew the books of the Bible. Otherwise, it could have been a little bit annoying. Um, it's really valuable to know the order of the books of the Bible. That's great. It's good to know how, how they fit with one another, what's Old and what's New Testament. What's even better than that is to order our lives according to Scripture, to see that we are actually putting into practice the things that we're reading and taking to heart those challenges. I mean, I've been reading through Jeremiah in the mornings, and it is full of challenges. I'm like, man, I am a wretch. I'm having serious problems. And uh, I got to own all this. And it was bad. <laughs> like, you've done this and you've done that. And Lord, I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I know you're not condemning me, but I need to change too. I need to keep on being changed. And so when I see, when you reveal sin, help me to admit it and to put it away from me and to do the things instead that please you. So let it hit home. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness isn't, or the shield of faith isn't used to block conviction. Let the conviction get you. 
Because God has a good end when we are changed by him. Knowing how to handle the sword, it takes training. It takes physical dexterity. If you guys have ever tried to swing a big sword, man, your wrist, your forearms, you'll feel it the next day. You'll be like, wow, I didn't even know I had those muscles. I, I've never, I haven't used them. And in the same way, there is a bit of muscle memory that comes from the word of God that we should take it to heart. We should take note of those key passages and memorize them and most importantly, practice them. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He parried with the word of God. In every temptation, it's like almost that picture of the arrows coming. He's like, flick, and it just, woo. It just didn't even come near him because he was able to parry that blow. It had no impact on him because he says, as it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Because war is upon us, we need to have our sword at the ready. We need to have it uh, not necessarily physically on you, but hey, we have apps and stuff. You can have it in your phone. You can have your actual sword on, on hand. The best way to use it is to read, believe, and obey it. That's the key. So it doesn't matter if Satan's taking a pot shot at you, a cheap shot from behind, you can be protected. And whether it's face-to-face, hand-to-hand, we have protection through Jesus. He goes on to say the importance of prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. There's a lot of prayer there. It's like praying for all the time. Don't give up praying and pray for everybody, not just the ones that you know are having a hard time, but the ones who seem to be doing well. The ones, because that's, we can be a bit reactionary with our prayers, right? We can pray because, well, we know he is going through a hard time, so we'll pray for him. But this guy, he's doing great. He never has a problem. We don't need to pray for him. But that person needs prayer just as much as the one who is struggling at the moment. Because we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all have needs. Now, the words there where it says prayer and supplication that highlights two aspects of prayer, worship and petitions. So worship, the praise of God, and asking, making requests of God. Our prayers should be filled with with praise and extolling and magnifying and just talking up how awesome God is, the great things he's done, the things he's given, the promises have made, affirming his power and saying, just thinking about the times he has revealed himself to you and in the scripture. Why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and we'll see how prayer helps the peace of God guard us. So even in war, we can be at peace and experiencing the peace of God that passes understanding. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When you feel overburdened and, or feel like I am too weak even to pray, pray and the Lord will give you strength. He will provide peace. He has promised to. 
that peace of God will guard your hearts and minds from worries and cares and those darts that come thick and fast. Notice Paul, as we continue reading, he wanted to be included in those prayers. And you might think, Paul, he's a champion. He, he needs only, he doesn't need much prayer, does he? This is all easy for him. No, he's like, and pray for me. Pray for everybody, but pray for me. And listen to what he asks for. Verse 19, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains. Sorry, I'm just getting a bit distracted by that. In that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. So if you're in prison, what might your prayer be? Get me out of here, right? <laughs> Help me to have better food tomorrow or get this this guard just needs to take a bath. He's just way too close all the time. He's driving me crazy. So annoying. He said, pray that God would give me the words to say that I would speak the gospel with boldness. He, didn't say, he doesn't say like, man, I'm under such attack in here. The devil's just trying to get me off of my purposes. No. He saw this imprisonment as an opportunity to fulfill his purpose that God had given him to spread the gospel. So he's like, pray for me that I would speak the things I should. God had promised Paul that he was going to appear before Caesar. He says, you, you're going to stand before Caesar. And he's like, I don't want to miss that opportunity. I want to say boldly to Caesar Nero, the one who was killing Christians, I want to speak as I ought to speak, so pray for me. So let's be those who ask for prayer, who are willing to admit that we need prayer. And, and I'm perfectly honest. There's many times where someone says, how can I pray for you? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I really I don't, I don't know. I really don't have a prayer request today. But we should. What are we praying for? What are we asking God for? We could ask someone else to pray for us to that end. This is the thing that God's been putting in my heart lately. Please pray for me about this. So let's be thinking, let's, and that helps me say, have I been praying how I ought to be praying? To be praying for all people and to be making my petitions of the Lord. Or to say, you know, man, just praise God for how awesome he is. Worship, it's got to be part of our prayer. It's important to be praying for people to be saved, also to be praying for people who are saved because we, we're the ones under attack. Quite often, the ones who are apart from God, they're, they're already fully in his clutches, enslaved to sin. They're in darkness already. It's the children of light that he targets. That's why we have the armor, because we will be the focus of his attacks. He will protect us, but we just have to know this. We have to be aware of it so we can be prepared for it. And we won't be overwhelmed in it because we're like, oh, God told me about this. I knew this was coming. There was going to be an attack on my mind, on my heart, on my feelings. How will I resolve it? Taking it to the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul said this, I exhort first that all 
of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Have there been people that you just didn't even bother praying for their salvation because you figured they're not going to get saved? Like that politician, that musician, that entertainer, no hope there. Well, what faith is there in that approach? Do you believe that God is powerful or not? Do you believe he's able to save or not? And just because he hasn't operated on your timetable, does it mean you should stop praying? Certainly not. May God expose our faithlessness and our reluctance to trust him about some other person. I mean, God is operating in the heavenlies. He has all power over all things. He is the head of all principalities and powers. And yet we go, oh, that guy's too hard. He's too far gone. No. God is powerful, more powerful than all. He is able to save. He's able to change. Even a Christian that you think is like, man, that guy, he's always just going to be how he is. No, God can change people. He is able and he desires. And we will be effective when we're the ones who are standing, wearing the armor of God, speaking boldly the mystery of the gospel to others. Verse 21, but that also you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul closes the letter on a personal note. He sent this letter to the church in Ephesus by the hand of Tychicus, who is a beloved brother and faithful minister. He's mentioned in several other epistles as well. And he would explain more fully how Paul was doing and what he was up to and the, the work of the ministry in the prison where he was. And what's so crazy, we've read this earlier in the book, and because it was a couple months ago, we're going to go back to it. Ephesians 3, verse 10 through 13. Paul had insight that not only was he revealing the gospel and the truth of God's word and his power to people, but it was a revelation to angels and demons. It was, a relation, it was proving something. It was teaching angels something about God and his power. Now, that's like not where I usually am thinking. I'm, I'm pretty content just that some person would hear and understand the, the gospel. But he's like, man, the prince's powers, they're going to hear this. They're going to learn this revelation for them. That's just on another level. Ephesians 3, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Wow. People could have said, well, Paul, you know, you're this traveling missionary, this evangelist. Well, some good you're doing in prison. And he's like, 
Well, he's writing these letters, and he's not saying these are going to be part of biblical canon someday. He didn't know that. But he's saying the work that God is doing through my life here, it's a revelation to the principalities and powers of the wisdom of God. That God would use you and me like that to make a statement that your life would be a living testimony, a representation of his power, his love and grace, even in prison, in the spiritual realm. That's full on. Have you noticed in war movies that it seems like bullets have an uncanny attraction to hitting the communication like operator? They go into battle. There's the guy with the, the ham radio. Oh, man, things are getting hairy. He's trying to make a call. Oh, no, it's busted. It just kind of, it's a Hollywood thing, I think, to kind of make it more drastic or more serious. It's like in a surprise attack, that's the first thing to go. You don't want to be the guy with the radio. That's just bad in Hollywood. I don't know if how that works in real life. But as believers in the body of Christ, we are never in that situation. We always have communication with God. Not just another person, but God. The head of all principality and power. You have direct access. It says, boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Faith in him. We have that access and we have that confidence that in the heat of battle, when things are totally out of control and we need help, we can call on him. And the radio has not, does not have a bullet through it. We are able to speak with God, who is able to help us. And, and how many times have they radioed in the help? They could actually use the radio, but the supply line was broken, or the planes had been shot down, or there was no help coming. And you guys just got to deal with it. You got to hang out until morning. No, we can have help from God instantly. We can have peace in a time of battle. In our tribulations and those of others, we do not need to lose heart because God can redeem it for good. And when I say for good, it's in two senses. It's in good as in godly and positive, but also permanently good eternally good. Remember, we're operating in the heavenlies, not just what we can see. Ephesians 6, 23, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. We are in a spiritual battle, yet through Jesus we can experience peace and we can offer this peace to one another with love and faith from God. We don't bring anything to the fight that will help us in our flesh. God supplies all that we need to withstand, to be strong in the Lord, and having done all, to stand. He's the one who helps us. Reading back something that he had written in Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus didn't just preach peace. He is our peace. He is broken down that wall between people 
and between fellowship with God and men. We have been brought near and now been reconciled to God as his children. So I want to ask you, thinking about a spiritual battle or conflict and having peace at the same time, are you experiencing that peace today? Peace that passes understanding despite what you are experiencing or how you're feeling. You're not alone because Jesus is with you. Even when you're wounded by a dart, you were unprepared for it. You, you never saw it coming and it just got you. When you're burned by that flaming arrow, turn your eyes to Jesus, who is your peace. This week I read about Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, when the enemies came against them, and he's like, man, there were all these, this, he wrote this really threatening letter that the king read, and he's like, man, we can't do anything against these people. He just realized right off the bat, they had no chance. We cannot win. And it said, Lord, our eyes are on you because we don't know what to do. And God said, you will not have to fight in this battle. And what did they do? They praised God. And before the, the battle came the next day, they sent the worshipers out first, praising God. And then they, God defeated their enemies before them, and they ended up spending three days spoiling the slain without a single person lost of warrior, woman, or child. God brought a marvelous deliverance. That's the power. That's, what, that's the power of God and what gives us rest for our souls, knowing him and that he's with us. I don't know about you, but I really do relish historical accounts of valor on the battlefield. There's a lot of great ones in scripture. One of my favorites in modern history has to be Teddy Sheehan, uh, born in Tasmania. He was stationed on the Armadale at, in 1942 at 18 years of age. His ship was attacked. It was listing heavily to one side after being torpedoed, and the call to abandon ship was given. Having been wounded in two places, he strapped himself into his Orlikan 20-millimeter cannon, and he started firing on the zeros that were strafing the ship and the, the, the men in the water. And he was seen firing as the ship went down. They could see the tracer rounds coming out of the water. He took down one plane and uh, protected the men from the other. And when you think of something so selfless and brave, you're like, that should be remembered. Something so heroic and her courageous, that should be remembered. That should not be forgotten. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something even more heroic because he just didn't protect his own people. He, he accomplished something on the cross that gave new life to Jew and Gentile, to those who loved God and those who hated him. He gave his own life. And it has eternal implications for all people. So the people he saves, those people are saved. Not just during this life, because our bodies will go the way of the earth, but he will save us for eternity because he wants to be with us. Why don't you turn, please, to Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Think of what Jesus accomplished, and we'll see what he did concerning principalities and powers. Colossians chapter 2, 13. 15. 
It says, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, in it. He has made us alive together with Jesus. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. He's wiped out that law that was contrary to us, that condemned us. He's nailed it to the cross. And then having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. You know, when there's two guys fighting hand to hand and one gets disarmed, and, and then is overcome, do you know that you are proof that Christ has disarmed principalities and powers? Because you're born again. You were a child of the devil, but now you're a child of God. You were headed to hell as his subject, but now you're alive, and you, you are a child of God. It's like you were in the devil's hands and Jesus, through his death, just prized you out and said, this is mine. He, she, they are mine. I've paid the price. I've satisfied their righteousness. I've made atonement for their sin. Knowing that those principalities and powers are disarmed, we triumph through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. We are his spoils of war. And that's the public spectacle, right? That we are children of God. Born again, having new life. Now, having done all to stand, we fight from victory in our Savior. What an awesome God. Could I have the team come up, please, as we pray? Paul says, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. I found when I'm praising God with my whole heart, there's no room for bitterness. Just filled with gladness and thanksgiving for what God has accomplished, how he protects, how he provides. Let's remember what our Savior has done for us, all he accomplished on Calvary, and praise him for his victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be our Savior, for his, I guess, transcendent, heroic life that he lived in becoming flesh, taking that form of a servant, that he became someone of no reputation and endured shame and ridicule, betrayal, beating, and crucifixion for our sakes the sins of the world. Thank you for his demonstration of divine love, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, and that he's given us such a place in your presence. Lord, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgiving me, forgive me for not believing that you're able to do the things that you do easily and that you've promised to do. Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that our prayers would be filled with praise for you. And as we make petitions, Lord, it would be for all men, rulers, friends, people we haven't met, that our hearts would be filled with praise and prayers for your glory. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would uh, just convict of sin, 
you would bolster us in our faith. You would equip us, Lord, to fight in that battle, to hold fast, to stand strong, to keep, keep our feet well secured in the gospel. I thank you for the, the family we are in Jesus Christ and for all you've done. Lord, may our lives be spent in praising you, a testimony of your spoils of war that you have gained. We, we love you, God, and we're so grateful to, uh, to enter into your presence now. In Jesus' name, amen.